Hey, good morning, Gretna family. It's Pastor Rob. It's so great to see you today. Today, as we're filming, it's pouring rain. Rain everywhere in the middle of February. Seems a bit odd, but fear not. It's supposed to be 16 degrees by the end of the end of the evening. So, <laughs> welcome to Ohio. Wait five minutes, the weather will change. But either way, so excited. We're going to start today our series, The Book of Luke. We're going to be here for the next 10 weeks, kind of walking through Luke's presentation presentation of the gospel, ending with the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on, appropriately, I think, Easter. Before we start, though, uh, we're going to take a test. Didn't know that you were going to do that this morning, did you? We're going to take a quiz about our knowledge about Luke, the person, the guy who wrote the gospel as God dictated to him. So, if you would, in the comment box below, if you're on our live stream, in the comment box below, would love to have you put in your answers, and, and I'll round back up to them. Are you ready? All right. First one is this. Was Luke one of the original 12 apostles? Was Yes or no? Was Luke one of the original 12, or 12 apostles? Put it in? Yes or no? The answer is no. Luke actually came a little bit later, and he would later tour with another apostle and come to know the Lord through him. In fact, do you know who, which apostle that was? That's the second question. Which apostle did Luke travel with for some time? Any guesses? You got lots of options. Luke actually traveled with the apostle Paul for on at least one of his missionary journeys. And so he had an opportunity to see firsthand the work of the gospel alive and well and working. We find that out as we work our way through the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 16 particularly, he refers to himself and Paul and those traveling with him as we. We are together. Next question, number three. Was, or, no, yeah, number three. True or false, Luke was the first gospel written. True or false, Luke was the first gospel written answer false false we believe that mark was the first gospel written and we know that both matthew and luke borrow heavily huge sections of the stories they tell are taken directly from mark but each of those gospels is designed to focus on a different point or, or reach directly reach a different audience. They all have something to teach us, but they were originally written to a certain audience. We have to remember that as we're reading uh, any part of scripture is to recognize that it really wasn't written to us. It was written to the original audience. It was just written for us as well. We're one of many who it was written for so that we could later understand. But in order to really get it, we have to understand who it was written to. Luke's was not the first. Now, next question, was Luke Jew or Gentile? Was Luke a Jew or a Gentile? Any guesses? Luke was, interestingly and uniquely, a Gentile. And I say that because, as far as we can discern, he was the only writer of the New Testament that was not Jewish in his background. He came, he was likely a Roman citizen and likely came to know the Lord through traveling with the Apostle Paul, not through his experiences in Jerusalem directly or with the Jewish people directly. Next one. What was likely Luke's day job? Anybody know what Luke did for a living as a day job? 
Luke was a doctor. Uh, we, we find that out in Colossians chapter 4, where pa the Apostle Paul actually says, the great physician Luke is coming with my other friends to visit you. Uh, he was a doctor trained in the medical field. Interesting, right? The next thing, how many biblical books did Luke write? How many did he author? You should get one easy, right? The Gospel of Luke. He also wrote the book of Acts. In fact, they are addressed to the same person. The man's name is Theophilus. Um, they are addressed to the same person. They begin much of the same way. And really, we're going to refer to the book of Acts quite often as we walk through the book of Luke because they really are tied together. So he wrote two books. And another fun fact, though Paul wrote the most documents, the most letters in the New Testament by a long shot, actually the most words, if you were counting words, are Luke's. Between the book of Luke and the book of Acts, he is responsible for the vast majority, not the vast majority, the majority of the words in the New Testament. And I think, yeah, I think that was our last question. That was our last question. How'd you do? If you did great, awesome. You got a great base to start from. If you didn't get them all or you missed some or didn't know some things or something surprised you, then you're on the journey with the rest of us. We're all learning together. Before we dive into Luke, there are some other basics I want to kind of go over. First is an overview of the book of Luke. The book of Luke is, is divided into four different parts. Chapters 1 and 2 are really an introduction, an introduction of who Jesus is, of course, where he's come from, and importantly also John the Baptist. John the Baptist is, if you, if you, if you think about a wedding and that moment when all the bridesmaids and, and groomsmen have come up front and the um, pastor and, the, and the, the groom are up front waiting and there's that moment where uh, the music changes and the pastor or somebody tells everybody to stand up and kind of turn and focus because the doors are going to swing open and this beautiful bride is going to come down the aisle. That's really John the Baptist's role in Jesus's ministry and the coming of Christ. He is, he is the one sent forth in the, in the desert crying, prepare ye the way of the Lord, as Matthew would say. But he is set forth to be this person who is declaring the presence of God. And he's saying, look, man, here he is. The moment has come. The Messiah is here. And so as we take some time over the next several weeks to learn about John, it's important that we understand how critical and how important he was and his role in declaring the coming of God, the Messiah, the King. The next section is chapters 3 through 9. They really kind of chronicle Jesus' work in his homeland. And they really are consistent with much of what's in the book of Mark. That's where a lot of Luke's material for this section came from, likely from the book of Mark. We also, though, will then jump in the second half of chapter 9 through the first half of 19. In the third section is his journey to Jerusalem. And there are a ton of stories in here that you can only find in the book of Luke. You will not find them in the other Gospels. And that's important for us as we kind of walk through that. And then the last section is chapter 19, the second half, through the end of the gospel, chapter 24. It's just Holy Week. It's just that time between his arrival in Jerusalem, culminating with his death, burial, and resurrection at the end. And we'll cover that final piece at Easter, which seems pretty appropriate. Another, more basics I want to cover. Uh, some basic themes that Luke is is going to introduce or kind of walk us through his his some of them are just his goals but i want us to understand them because i think 
taking a minute to understand them now helps us understand how we see everything else. It, it helps give us the big picture. The first is this, Luke wants to establish a clear understanding of who Jesus is. He's not just some other guy. The reality is that at that time, there were tons of people claiming to be the Messiah, claiming to be the one who was gonna come along and free the Jewish people from the Roman Empire that was gonna save them all. And Luke wants it to be clear that it is, no, it is Jesus who is the Christ, who is the Savior, the Messiah. He is the, the Messiah, he is the King, he is the Son of God. His identity is unique. There is no one else like him. And, and Luke wants us to have a clear understanding of that. Luke also wants to connect Jesus with Abraham. And probably more importantly, to connect Jesus with Adam. Matthew, in his gospel, would connect Jesus directly to Abraham. Again, that's because Matthew was largely a Jew writing to the Jewish establishment, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the people of God as they practiced their faith then. And so Matthew's gospel is targeted towards people who have been part of God's family for hundreds, if not thousands of years, right? Luke's gospel is not. It's really targeted toward everyone. And so he goes past Abraham all the way back to Adam. 77 generations he covers. It's in Luke chapter 3, verses 23 through 38. He covers 77 generations trying to help people see, his readers see, the truth that Jesus is not just here for the Jews, but also for all of humanity. And that is a unique and very new thing for the people of God to even wrap their brains around, let alone understand. Luke introduces it fairly early and wants us to all understand that Jesus was here for all of us, not just for a particular group of people. The third thing that Luke does, and, and, and does probably more, well, I think definitely more than any of the other gospels, is Jesus call is Luke calls into view the social implications of the gospel. Our memory verse for this week demonstrates that. We're gonna have a memory verse. It's Luke chapter four, verses 18 and 19. I would encourage you to spend some time this week. It can be in the CSB, I'll put it up on the screen, or, or any other version you like to memorize this. This is actually Luke quoting, or Jesus quoting the book of Isaiah. And it says this, it says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Again, that's taken out of Isaiah chapter 61, verses one and two. The, the Greek word there for released is aphesis. It refers to a year of jubilee. In the Old Testament, it's used that way. A time historically where God's people every seven years canceled all of their debts. They freed all of the slaves. They returned land to the original owners. They canceled all their financial debts. That concept of release is about removing any and all baggage or transactions that have been piled up and resetting everything back to new, back to the base. He also uses the word oppressed in here. It's translated as oppressed. If we were to go back to the original Isaiah text, the Hebrew that word there for that is ani. It's, and it's designed to describe not just the oppressed or not just the poor, which they certainly are, but also the widowed, the fatherless, the outsiders, those who are not part of mainstream 
Jewish thought or mainstream world at this point. Luke's gospel, more than any of the others, focuses on Jesus's love for those who live on the margins, on the fringes of life, and frankly calls us to do the same. So with those basic concepts in mind, we're going to dive into the book of Luke. So if you would, flip in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1 verses 1 through 4 as we kind of work on some other things that Luke brings to this letter, what, what it tells us about Luke's approach to his gospel. And I know this week is going to feel kind of academic-y, <laughs> but I think they're basic, it's basic groundwork that we need to lay before we move forward into his gospel. So let's read. It says... Many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. So it also seemed good to me, since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first, to write to you in an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed." Luke begins his letter with, many have undertaken. Uh, another translation might say, insomuch as uh, many have undertaken. Luke is readily aware that others have taken the time over the years to write down what their understanding is of the gospel and understand and write down what they've seen and what they've heard and what they've experienced. He knows he's not on an island here. He's likely, again, we know he's aware of Mark. He's, he may or may not be aware of what Matthew is writing. Probably not John yet, just because John um, would come just a little bit later, but likely all the letters written by the Apostle Paul. Again, he traveled with him. He knows. He's readily aware. And what Luke is trying to provide here is something called corroborating evidence, or a, a d evidence of a different kind that supports a proof already offered. In other words, he's trying to say, you know, Jesus is who he says he is. You've heard about it, You've heard about the man, the myth, the legend. I'm here to tell you the facts as they are. I'm here to give you a perspective that he says he has carefully investigated. Luke has been led by God here to confirm the truth from a different perspective. And truthfully, it shouldn't be identical to all the other witnesses. Um, if the police are interviewing people for a crime and, and all the witnesses give exactly the same story verbatim, that's, that's cause for alarm bells, right? That means there's been some collusion going on and people have decided what they're going to say and not going to say because they're trying to put forth a certain very controlled narrative. So they should be a little different because humans are different and we bring different things to the table. I think that's one of the, the beauties of scripture is that it has so many different writers across so much time, all focused on the same God, all with words provided by him, but clearly demonstrating or expressing their personalities and their perspectives to address the audience that they're speaking to. Lee Strobel in his book, The Case for Christ, it's a little bit of an older book, said this, if the Gospels had been identical to each other word for word, this would have raised charges that the authors had conspired among themselves to coordinate their stories in advance and would have cast doubt on them. And I think that's very, very true. Luke goes out of the way to say that he carefully investigated everything. From the very first, he says, he wants us to be sure that he's giving the full story to Theophilus that he's writing to and to us, anyone else who might read it later. It's not just a soundbite. It's not just an anecdote. It's the whole story from the very beginning. He also says he took the time to talk to the original witnesses. This wasn't just 
hearsay. This was people he interviewed that actually saw what happened and, and saw the risen Lord, saw him die on a cross and saw him come back, saw the work of the apostles and the others, other disciples as they followed him and saw people be healed. He, he interviewed those witnesses directly and he wants us to know that, to understand that he's put in a lot of legwork to make sure that all the facts line up. The truth is there. And he says he's put it in an orderly sequence, right? These are all terms that are designed to help us understand the depths that Luke has gone to to make sure this is the story. That there aren't loopholes, there aren't missing pieces, that there aren't mistakes or just mere hearsays. This is it. This actually all happened as I'm telling you. And that's important for the veracity, the truth of the story. Luke also, as he's writing, provides a different perspective. Remember, he's a Gentile. He's an external source. He's an observer from outside the, the Jewish world, right? He's able to see things a little differently and experience them a little differently. And he's writing to Theophilus. We've mentioned him a couple times already. Theophilus was, is, is actually the person he writes to in both Acts and Luke. It's how he starts the letters. Theophilus means lover of God, God lover. Theo, God, Philus, love, lover of God. And he, he refers to him as most honorable, right? Or most excellent if you're looking at a, a different translation. But the idea there is that he's, Theophilus is likely a Roman officer of something of that sort, or maybe a political leader. But either way, he is someone of high stature that, that Luke is connecting with. And he is not a Jew. And so he's trying to explain Jesus, a Jew, who is at his core a Jewish rabbi, bringing forth Jewish traditions and, and the call of the, the Jewish God into the rest of the world. He's trying to help him understand this from his perspective, saying, I get it. You didn't see this from the very beginning, and, and I didn't either. I wasn't exposed to this either, but I'm telling you, this is the truth. And, and he also is trying to teach us or show us what it looks like to follow God from a lived out faith. Remember, he's toured with Paul. He's seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? He's seen it all. And maybe even had doubts himself along the way. If he didn't grow up as a Jew or a follower of Jesus, certainly not a follower of Jesus, but if he didn't grow up as a Jew even, he had a lot to work his way through and to process before he could come to know the Lord. Luke has experienced the fruit of the gospel and he wants to help Theophilus and us see the depths of that tree's roots, to see where he's come from and what it means. But there's one phrase I want to focus on this week that I think is important for us to gather, and that's in, found in verses 3 and 4. It's actually found in verse 4, but the, it's a full sentence. It says, So it also seemed good to me, since I have carefully investigated everything from the first, to write you an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus. There he is. So that you may, and here's the three words, know the certainty, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. The Greek word there for know is epigenosko. The root is gnosko, which means to know. Very, very simple, to know, to know something. I want to make sure that you know something. But he adds something on the front of it. He adds this intensifier, epi. He adds it on the front. And Luke is trying to tell Theophilus and us, I want you to have such an intense, intense knowledge of Jesus that you cannot help but believe. 
These two volumes which I have written for you are going to transform your mind through your knowledge of Jesus, and it's going to be epic. Luke, right out of the gate, wants, to, wants him to understand and us to understand that the words that follow are going to draw, paint a picture for you that is unequaled. That this, this knowledge of who Jesus is, I want you to not just know the words, I want you to not just know the story, I want you to know him. This is so important to what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to know him, to walk with him. And Luke is saying, my words, the story I'm about to tell you are going to teach you who this man is. If you've heard other stories, trust what I'm telling you. Others who said he wasn't who he said he was, trust what I'm telling you here. This is going to be epic. This is going to change your world. It's going to change your life. It's going to alter the way you see everything, most especially how you see Jesus. But that second word in there, certainty, certainty, we see it used, Luke uses it one other time actually in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 5, in Acts chapter 5 verse 23. But it, it, the story begins in verse 17 and it's the apostles are in fact imprisoned. They have been thrown in jail at the, the behest of the Sanhedrin, the leaders of the Pharisees, because they're afraid of the gospel that's being spread. That's going to rob them of their power and it's going to get them in trouble with the Romans. So they have thrown them in prison. But an angel of the Lord comes in the middle of the night and he releases all the prisoners. He lets them go. <laughs> and he tells them in verse 20 of chapter 5 of Acts to go and stand in the temple and tell the people all about this life. Tell them about what's going on. The Sanhedrin is unaware of this and they send the guards back to the jail to find to bring them to the temple. They're like, go get them. We're going to put them on trial right here, right now in, the, in front of everybody. The guards go back to the, back to the jail cell. And in verse 23, it says, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing in front of the doors, but we opened them. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Did you find the word certainty in there? We found the jail securely locked and the guards standing in front of the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Translated there, the word is securely. Securely. And I think that's important that this Greek word, Greek words sometimes have very different sets of meanings than the way we translate them in English. And so commonly in the scripture, you will see the same word translated a little differently depending on the context. We have idioms and other words in the English language that do the same thing, right? Their meaning changes depending upon the context they're in. Well, here it's translated as securely because this word that he uses in Acts chapter five that's translated as securely and that he uses in Luke chapter one, it's translated as certainty. It's designed to help us understand that Luke, right out of the gate, right out of the gate, Luke is telling Theophilus and all who will read this that their faith in Jesus Christ, that certainty, it is a certainty that gives them security and safety. It, is, it will never, ever, ever let them down. And at the end of the day, isn't that really what the Gospels are trying to do and what we are trying to lean into is the notion that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. He is the Son of God. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords and he is the Messiah. And then as we go through this study in the next several weeks, the more we are willing to lean into who Luke describes our, our Christ is and live out as 
Jesus would have us live, the more we will recognize that the gospel will never let us down. That we too, as Luke is hoping for Theophilus and for all of us who read this, that we will know the certainty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you would this week, memorize that verse. Luke chapter 4 verses 18 and 19, doesn't matter what version, just memorize it. Keep that in your heart and in your mind and remember who our God is. If you have an opportunity to kind of tell somebody else about this study, please do that. Uh, We would love to spread the word and get people knowing. If you have a chance to join us, do that too. Uh, Again, our conversational kind of style in church is a little different. We actually interact a little bit more together. I tried to do some of that today. I hope you took the time to answer questions just because to get your brain moving. But I think the study will bless us. I think it will encourage us and I think it will strengthen us. And I thank you so much for being a part of what God is doing. We pray that it is a blessing to you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and he be gracious to you. May he grant you favor and may he give you peace. God bless.